Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here to talk today with someone who has taken the reins of their industry horse and steered off the lame, tired path to venture into unexplored opportunities that have kicked the dust up on the status quo. Today's guest has over 30 years experience in international logistics. He has become a cross-border e-commerce disruptor, especially when it comes to persevering against the challenges and complexities faced in the Latin American market. And boy, are there some. He's a steadfast in his belief that you should not pay more for less. He's also a former Major League Baseball California Angel. We're talking to him today because of his expertise in sh shipping customs and logistics. I almost said shitting. Yeah, well, <laughs> his sometimes, expertise. Sometimes, sometimes you feel like doing that in this business. <laughs> it's true. Um, and also in how international private and parcel packages are delivered, transported, and monetized. Coming to us live from Miami, Florida, president and CEO of Sky Postal, AJ Hernandez, alias the Postmaster. <laughs> That's funny. I've been called many things. And unfortunately, KJ, I have to, I have to correct you one thing. Yes. Uh, as much as I would love to not, not correct you, I did not make it to the major leagues. I played in the minor leagues. With the minor league. Ages. Okay. So I, yes. I, I, I just ran out of talent. So I didn't get there to the big leagues. Oh, wait, so so uh, California Angels is minor leagues. No, the California Angels is an organization. They're, they're a major league organization and they have a farm system or a minor league system. I was in their minor league system. Got it. But you're still so, big time, right? You yeah, at least, at least, at least in my mom and my dad's mind, I was. Yeah, <laughs> well, in your mind for a while too, right? Well, I'm, I'm, many times I was a legend in my own mind, and maybe we'll get to that later, <laughs> where I, you know you get brought back down to earth. <laughs> okay, good. All right, so minor league baseball. Thanks for correcting that. No it just problem. makes you who you are. So, um, right off the bat, AJ, we're talking about disruption. You have seen a status quo in your industry that you've, it's just, you've disrupted, you right? But before we get into that, I want you to tell me, like, what's your first ingredient for disruption? What's the main ingredient you have to have? Find the need. Find something that needs to be improved. You know, find out where there's a hole. There's always holes. Just like in baseball, there's holes in your swing. You got to, as a, as the pitcher, you got to find the holes in the batter's swing. And as a hitter, you got to find the holes in the pitcher's uh, arsenal. And it's, that's exactly what it is. Finding the holes. Finding the holes. So that's interesting. That's, I've never heard that one before. So yeah, I just, I just made that up. <laughs> but it's true though. Yeah. And you gave me a baseball analogy. So it is yeah. for you. So tell me before we get into this disruption, tell me what the holes are in international shipping and logistics, like, like with e-commerce, like paint for me, the status quo. So the people really quo, know. The status quo for most of the world is that there are two options. 
you either send it via the, the postal service, which for us in this country is the United States Postal Service, or through a, an express carrier, and that is for us FedEx, uh, DHL, UPS. Uh, in the United States, those work great, they coexist, uh, but in many parts of the world, especially the undeveloped world, such as Latin America, they don't work. First of all, the post offices in the region are extremely unreliable in Latin Why? America. They're underfunded. Uh, they have a lot of turnover. Uh, they're government entities, which, as you know, most government entities, look, even the United States Postal Service, for as great as its service is, it's losing billions of dollars. Uh, why? It's a government entity that's being made to run with a lot of the rules of a private company without being able to act like a private company. So it puts them in a real bind. Uh, I don't want to get too much off into that, onto that tangent, but that's really the challenge that a lot of these posts are facing. They have uh, a universal service obligation, so they have to cover their entire country, but yet they can't raise prices, they can't make changes, they can't say, like FedEx can say, I don't want to deliver that zone, or I'm going to deliver that zone, but I'm going to charge you 10 times the amount. Right, because it's off the beaten path, or it costs you know that much more to get there in gas, or... That's right. That's right. I mean, so, they, I, I, so, so FedEx can run like I a normal. Know. Yeah, but you're right on. You know, FedEx is able to run like a normal business, just like you run your business. Hey, this isn't profitable. I'm not going to do it. Or right. I'm going to raise the price to make it profitable. Right. Posts don't have that mechanism. The United States Post doesn't have that mechanism. So in Latin America, you're not only saddled by, you have volatile economies, volatile governments massive turnover. I mean, the average tenure for a postmaster in, the, in Latin America is like six months. It's ridiculous. Really? As you can imagine, imagine a company whose CEO changes every six months. How much are they going to be able to accomplish? Uh, is is it just so inefficient? Is it like hostile working environments? Is it corrupt? Like what's up? Well, it, it, you know what it is? It's that most postmasters are friends of the president. They're political appointees and for the most part, I would say probably 95% of the postmasters are have never been in logistics, know nothing about the mail, know nothing about the parcel business. Never been in business. They, they are, they, many of them may have not been in business, you know, and they are uh, appointed by the president or whomever it is that appoints them as a political favor. Uh, it's, a, it's a stepping stone for most of these people for public office or whatever it is they want hmm. to accomplish on the political scene. So number one, they don't have the experience. Number two, they don't know anything about it. And number three, this is just really like a transient spot for them. And they're not, they're not really interested in making a big change. They're not, they're not interested in disrupting. There's not, they're not, There's well, no, how, how would they, I mean, disruption is innovation. They can't innovate if they don't it, have the budget and they don't have the expertise. It's completely, it's anathema to them. That's a good word, isn't it? A great word. Yes, that's a great word. What Fantastic the hell does it mean? Word. It's basically, it, it's counter to everything that they believe. It's just, they, that Anathema. is to them. Think about this. They are, they, the job is to keep their jobs as long as they can until they don't longer have their jobs. So a lot of that means if you don't want to keep, if you want to keep your job, a lot of the best things to do, and this is in general life, just say no. Don't right. make a change. Don't take a chance. Well, that, that doesn't work. For me, that doesn't work for anybody who I think is successful in business. No. You got to take the chance. You got to. You don't to. accept no. You don't just say, no, I can't do it. 
okay, push your line. You're just waiting to get paid. You're, you're there to just get your paycheck and get through it. Yeah, that either, sucks. Either get to your retirement or get to the next step. Well, we in see that in America, you know, government sure. bureaucracies, For right? For sure. But so this is Latin that. America. What happens to the consumers that need to get their shipments? Well, the consumers uh, historically have had two uh, options. It's either use their unreliable posts where you have, you know, 20 to 30% loss of packages in some of these countries, or you have to use a an express carrier, a FedEx, and what's, and, and what's the status quo about this express carrier? Are well, they the ex- exorbitantly the ex- expensive? Exorbitantly expensive. Exorbitant. This this pen, you could send it down to uh, one of these countries in Latin America, and FedEx will charge you forty dollars. I mean, who's going to pay forty dollars for a, for a one dollar item? Nobody. Nobody. So, but that's kind of FedEx's game. They don't want. First of all, FedEx. Uh, I, I won't say they don't want to be in the B2C or the individual delivery game, but they are more for B2B, uh, small parcel, document delivery, express time, you know, 24 well, it's hours. Volume. Yeah. Time sensitive volume. And remember, they have massive overheads too. They have planes, they have trucks and all that throughout the, throughout the world, in the United States and throughout the world. Uh, so their prices have to be able to cover that overhead. Yeah. 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 Well, why do people like, so, so now we're going to, so I understand what's happening in Latin America, but why do people in America like give a shit? Like, tell me what's happening in e-commerce and what's been, what they're selling to Latin America. What the hell's going on? People don't really know this. We've, we are one of the, I want to say one of the few, but we are one of those industries that has benefited from COVID, uh, COVID basically opened the eyes of the Latin American consumer and says, oh, I can shop online. Oh, I can buy things from the United States. Not that there weren't people doing it, but this has forced a a lot more people into it and has gotten them over their fears because one of the major problems with getting people to shop online was they were just scared to do it. Latin Americans were afraid to do it. They're afraid to do it because number one, they don't know if they're going to get their package delivered, as we just talked about the, the delivery infrastructure. Number two, they're concerned about, my God, I'm going to put my credit card on online. That's dangerous. And, you know, the, we as Latin Americans, we are not very trusting. So mm. we're scared. Mm-hmm. We always have doubt. We always say, how is this guy going to screw me? How are they going to take advantage of me? It's kind of the mentality. Is that just, so, you know, the culture of the governments and things like what well, that's yeah. like? Of course, that's like, you know, they're used to corruption. They're used to, uh, sadly, that's, a, there's, there's a, I, God, I, I, I don't like to say these things, but there is a, a culture of corruption yeah. that pervades throughout Latin America. And I'm, listen, I can only speak about Latin America because that's my expertise. I'm not going to talk about the rest of the world. And obviously there's corruption everywhere, including the United States. Yeah. But it's so pervasive in these countries that the corruption has basically killed them. All of these countries in Latin America are in bad shape and you see these these volatile uh, governments and economies because of corruption. Bottom line, that is what the cause of it. That's what the cause of of despots like Fidel Castro, I can speak as a a Cuban American, brought him into power. Yeah. You know, he came in, I'm gonna fight corruption. Well, what happens? You get some crazy that like seems this, to be man. the mantra every time it's what happens it's what i mean happens. i have cuban-american friends they say the same thing venezuelan friends i have 
uh, Mexico, friends from Mexico, they say the same thing. Colombia. Same, same story, same movie, and it keeps being repeated. And so sadly, they have this happens. cultural distrust, right? So it's good to know this about consumers, but yeah. now they're seeing that they can shop online and they've been forced to do it because of right. kind of because of COVID they're in their yeah, home, right? Of course. So, so what happened is first it was the local domestic shop, right? They're going to shop. They have to get stuff that they need to live. Then they start feeling more comfortable all of a sudden. Okay. Hey, well, I can buy from my local grocer. I can buy from Amazon. I can buy from eBay, I can buy from somebody in the United States because it's the United States and wow, the United States would never do anything bad to us. So there's a, there's, there is confidence that there's credibility wow. to the U.S. They look at the United States as, you know, a beacon of light, right? Isn't that what uh, Ronald Reagan said about us uh, yeah. on, the, on the hill? Yeah, that's good. So they yeah. look at us, so they do trust us. So they're starting to buy from us. And from what I understand, they have a growing middle class, right? Absolutely. Uh, and now, and depend, I know from, it depends on the country, but yes, for the most okay. part, there's a growing middle class. So let's say like Brazil, Brazil was one of the BRIC countries, like yep. um, emerging countries, right? Growing middle class and they love to buy American goods. Love it. Why is that? Well, I think there's a certain cachet with American goods. People want to wear those brands. You know, uh, I'm not a big brand guy, but I'm dating myself, but Levi's, they're very, still very popular. People really? like Levi's, you know, it's like, okay, Levi's, I wore those in elementary school. Right, and that's great. I know. So I'm good with that. Yeah, but they love them. But they love them. Uh, they like Gap. They like J. Crew. They like Abercrombie, uh, Nike. I mean, massive brand. Those, you know, those kinds of brands, people love that stuff. Uh, it's probably uh, a sign of, what's the word? I don't want to say, it's not a sign of wealth. It's like, you know, I think a lot of these people, they, they want to climb the ladder, the social ladder. And I feel that by getting those kind of products, uh, they feel like they're climbing a little it's a bit. Status. Maybe it's, it's aspirational. How about that? It's yeah. as, everything's aspirational. Well, you know, the and, big outlet malls, especially in Orlando, they are shopped by primarily people in other countries to get the American brands. And they come with suitcases empty and leave with them full. Full, yeah. Full. But not everybody can afford to fly to the United States to buy. So that is why uh, the, we've had such a massive increase. I mean, Latin America last year, if I'm not mistaken, has grown 38% uh, in online shopping. And really? That's, mass that's massive, massive. Massive. And we just had a, I just had a recent meeting and I forget there was a report that, uh, that I can't recall, but they, they expect it to be double digit growth for the next 10 years. I mean, that's, that's unheard of for anything. So just think about what kind of an opportunity there is in Latin America. I mean, we're really, really scratching the surface. I mean, going back to the baseball analogy, we're in the first inning uh, of, of cross-border into Latin America. And American e-commerce companies are just barely figuring this out. They're just right? figuring it out. And it's an, it's an evolution. The, the ones that have been there the longest, they figure out, they kind of go through an evolution. They're going to go, they go, well, let me give it, I'm going to give it to the United States Postal Service because it's the United States Postal Service. We all believe in the United yeah. States Postal Service. Yes, they're great. Domestically, the USPS is awesome. What's the problem? When they ship to all these countries, they got to count on the local delivery, the, the local uh, postal service, the national postal services, which as we already talked about, are unreliable. They're, they have no technology. They're bankrupt. They have a lot of turnover. That service is not good. So they have a bad experience. 
So they say, we got to find something else. They jump to FedEx. Then all of a sudden they say, well, wait a minute. No one's going to pay me a $10 book. is going to pay me $40 to deliver it. Right. Oh, we need something else. So there's your hole. Okay. There's the freaking see how hole. I made, you see how I did that? <laughs> yes, I did it. It was wow. good. Wow. <laughs> it was good. So, okay. I'm dying. So tell me, tell me the disruption. Tell me how you fixed the hole. The hole was that we felt that based on our experience in, in the courier industry for the last 40 years, that we could find an alternative to the unreliable posts and the expensive express carriers. And that's what we did. We tapped into our network, our mail network. It's been around since my old man started in the seventies. We have a network that uh, we've been developing. We tapped into that network. Uh, what kind of network? Like shipping and logistics network? Well, like- it started off as a courier network, believe it okay. you know, courier. The word courier really didn't exist in the early seventies when my dad started going down to Latin America. And at that time, we weren't delivering e-commerce parcels, obviously. At that time, we were delivering uh, bank statements and bank drafts and checks. That's really how the industry begins. As a matter of fact, just as as a historical perspective, DHL and my dad's company, Skynet, at the time, all got started because banks needed to get checks to the Federal Reserve in the United States. Mm. So DHL started in Asia. At the same time as my dad started in Latin America, okay, they found holes and yeah. they needed to get those checks as the federal checks were being written and they needed the chases and the city banks that are worldwide banks needed to get those checks from Latin America as quickly as possible to the Federal Reserve in New York City. Got it. And so wow. they jumped on the opportunity and for the DHL was to get it to Bank of America in San Francisco, whatever. But whatever that case may be, that is how it all starts. And that network that my father began in 1972 with his first office in Caracas, Venezuela, uh, is the network that we tapped into and has been in evolution ever since. Uh, And by the way, we still have some of the same partners, believe it or not. Wow. Um, The sons of the fathers, the sons of the fathers that my dad dealt with. So is this like a massive courier service now? Like, how does that work? Yeah, well, the the way it works is um, because of the I'll tell you. Yeah, we should go back. That's a great question. Yeah. What it is, is going back to what we talked about, the, the the unreliable postal services, many companies like utility companies and banks and telephone companies had to create their own delivery services to deliver their statements. That's how so bad this corrupt is. So it's been going on for a oh, long time. Yeah, that's why that's what that's how bad the posts were. These people, and of course, this is before internet, they couldn't email you your bank, your your right. electric stick bill. Right. right. So these companies said, you know, I can't count on the post office to get my bills to these people. So I'm not getting paid. And of course, a lot of these people are going to say they didn't get their bill because they, they know the post office stinks. So they're not going to pay me. They're going to use it as an excuse. So what did these people do? They said, we're going to create our own delivery service. And they started, have you ever heard of a company called Cable and Wireless? They're a pretty massive telecom company. Oh, you know, vaguely. They're European, but a really big one, but they're also big in Latin America. They started to create delivery messenger services within their company just to deliver their statements. Well, soon they started to sell those off and the guys who took them over or even while still under these utilities said, well, shit, if I'm going to deliver my statements, I might as well offer it also to the guys, the, the electric yeah, guy, the telephone guy, the water it. guy, this guy. 
And next thing you know, a cottage industry has been created in all these countries. There are 6,000 messenger services in Latin America, okay? 6,000. 6,000. Again, guys that were way ahead of us because there was a need. There was a hole that had to be filled. They filled it. Now we came back around. We had our network from the 70s, which is really a customs clearance network, which was basically people who receive and are able to import goods. And we reach out and we start finding best in class hand delivery private messenger services. Wow. Say, we want you to be part of Sky Postal's network. Great. You got to come on board. You're going to tie into us with our technology. We'll, you know, back then it wasn't even a, we talked about API integrations and all that stuff. Today it was a little bit more rudimentary at that time, but still, hey, you're going to adopt our technology. You're going to work with us and we're going to uh, deliver packages to you. For, yeah, that was easy money for them. It, it, it was like, first of all, they never even fathomed the idea of cross, number one, packages, because they were delivering envelopes, and number two, cross-border. So for them, we would go and say, I'm gonna, you're going to be exclusive to me. You can do whatever you have to do domestically, but on cross-border, you're exclusive. Great. Smart. Uh, you're going to use my technology. Great. And many of them didn't even have technology. Like, you're gonna so this is perfect here. for them, you right? Because mail doesn't require as much technology as a package. A package, actually, the person wants to get delivered. So you got to make sure you do that. And that's how we built our network. And that network is, you know, listen, it's not, thing, not all things work out. Sometimes you have to change partners, but we do. And now we have a network throughout Latin America that we've built over time and it's constantly evolving. But it, how many countries in Latin America? Well, we deliver mail in almost 40 countries in the region because that's including the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. uh, packages, we're more focused in on the big markets. So it's a lot where less. they're buying a lot. Yeah, you know, you have to understand again a beautiful I'm not a post office, so I don't have to serve every country, right? I don't have to serve the small you don't, uh, Honduras because. I, there's not packages going to Honduras. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone comes to me and says, AJ, I have a thousand packages a week to Honduras. I have a partner that delivers mail. I just go and I set him up to deliver packages. But today we don't have that need. I don't have the demand. So I'm not going to, it's all about Where's demand. the demand coming from? The demand Brazil? is basically Brazil, Mexico, Chile, Colombia, um, Ecuador, Peru, Argentina, depending on which year we're in, because Argentina is like a, the roller coaster of economic and governmental chaos. Wow. Sadly, because That's it's one of my sad. favorite countries. One of my favorite countries, and Buenos Aires is one of my favorite cities in the region. But uh, to, there's no other word to describe Argentina than shit show. And that's what it is. It's a shit show. Wow. So depending on the year, you could be shipping a lot there. Okay, so you figured out the hole. You figured out how to get it to them. How? So what's like? What's the deal? You get it faster, cheaper. What's the? What's the? Every, what's you, the rub? You, you, Is there you, a almost, rub? you almost got our our motto: better, faster, cheaper. Okay, so That's tell me how do. it is better. Tell me how it's faster. So, tell me how it's cheaper. We we are better than the post office. We are faster than the post office and we're cheaper in a lot of cases than the post office and we're certainly cheaper than the express carriers look the express carriers are great services 
and I don't pretend to offer a 24 hour service. I don't offer 24 hour service. I offer a time defined service. I can deliver your package in four to eight days, but at least you'll know. And I have all the same bells and whistles that the big boys have. You have full online visibility, you have tracking, you know where your package is. You know, so we have the technology. And as a matter of fact, we, we really do see ourselves as, as as much a technology company as a logistics or a delivery yeah. company. Now we're delivering data. We're not just delivering packages, we're delivering data. Our clients, we're delivering data for our clients because my client's the guy who's sending the stuff. Right. So they want to know that the packages are delivered. And the only way they're going to know is by getting data. Right. And that's how they measure us. So physically, I may have de- delivered this package. Physically, it may have been delivered. And the end consumer is very happy. But if that's not in the system and doesn't show up as delivered, it doesn't count as delivered. It's a strike. It's a strike against us. Right. Okay. So better, faster, cheaper. You got it. I'm going to okay. put it on my shirt. Look, I'm going to put it on my shirt. I'm going yeah, to put it on, you the, back put it on, I'm gonna put it on the back of this shirt. Yeah, you should put it on the back but of your I shirt. I might give the wrong impression if people see that from behind. Yeah, they might. <laughs> so um, did you like, you know, your, you said your dad. So this is your dad started a semblance of this, right? And you've no. taken it to the next level. What, did you always know you were going to do this? Or is there a day that you actually no. woke up and you said, that's fucking it. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm done. Here's the hole. So the, the, the greatest disruptor I've ever met in my life is my father. Because I think- I want to meet him one day. You have to meet him. Uh, he'll talk your ear off and he's crazy. I will love him. I'll ask him so many stories. He, he's, <laughs> he's absolutely nuts. But he's uh, happily, he's still active. Uh, he still plays a big role in the, in the company. He handles a lot of special projects. But um, my father, what he had is vision. He could see things that were coming down the pike before they happened. I don't have that skill. I, I don't have that skill. I have, uh, I have his, well, nearly his work ethic, because I don't think there's anyone that, worked as, that works as hard as my dad. But I do, I do have a work ethic, and I think I do. When I see it and I get it, I can go after it. Yeah. But he has the advantage of being able to really have the vision uh, of what's going to happen in an industry. And he is, you know, he is one of the grandfathers of the industry. Let's face it; he's a pioneer that did a lot of stuff before these things existed. You know, wow. he, he really, he really did cut a path. And so you learned this from him, yeah. right? And then when did you take it to the next level? Was there a point, like a pivotal point where you said you saw the hole or did something piss you off or? I saw the hole. It wasn't something that pissed me off. It was, it, it was the business that I'd been in. Uh, we actually had started with, um, we really got into the package business the other way around. Rather than being a seller or shipper facing service we were a consumer facing service mm. and I'll, I'll explain we used to offer a u.s address for latin americans that lived that, that that in the united states so basically that the guy who lived in brazil could shop from a store as if she or he lived in miami why did that we do that because at that time no store sent cross-border no oh, store so it's completely packages. legit to do that oh yeah it's a fo- it's, it's basically a u.s address service okay it's a u.s address forwarding service so we had at one point we had half a million people 
whose address was our, our, our warehouse in Miami. And they each had their own unique number. So it's kind of like, you want to, for lack of a better term, and it's not, I don't want to give the wrong impression. It's, it was like a PO box. Okay. But obviously there weren't, some people think, well, where's my box? You know, no, no, that's not a PO box. You don't have that a That was box. just like a customer number. Right. So that number would come in and it would say KJ's number, one, two, three, four, five. And I would enter one, two, three, four, five, and up would come the label for your home address. Because remember, it's coming to my, it's coming to my address in Miami. Right. I have to relabel with your address in Brazil. Right. Okay. So that's how we started in the e-commerce thing. And it was a great, it really took off. It was a fantastic business. And we're talking about before the internet, we used to send catalogs out to people. No. And again, you know how this one came about? Our no. partner, our, car, our partner in, Brazil, in, in Peru used to call my dad every week and he had to buy him some kind of golf thing, a club, balls, some, some kind of golf paraphernalia. <laughs> he was asking him to buy him because he couldn't get it in Peru. Right. And my dad was like, shit, this is a, this is a business. This is in 1992. Wow. He's like, this is, there's something here. Sure enough, we created Skybox and Skybox took off. I mean, we, it took off and uh, we had a lot of help. American, we had an executive from American Express that was using us in Latin America. And he says, we want to make this a benefit of card membership for American Express Platinum clients. And overnight, we exploded. We had a bunch of people that, of course, these are people that had money. They had international credit yeah. cards. So what did we have to do? We had to get something in front of them they could buy. So we went to all the major catalog companies and got their excess catalogs and started shipping catalogs out to people to shop. You know, think about it. Sears and Robux with a Disney had a catalog. Victoria's That's Secret how you did catalog. it. Wow. Yes. yes. So again, that was my dad. You talk about a disruptor. I mean, I mean, how do you figure that out? He's you know? like responsible for helping all those brands. What the hell? Oh yeah, absolutely. So this awareness. was Skybox. Yeah. And then how did you transition it to now selling to? So we saw, we saw, and, and the truth is the Sky Postal business cannibalizes the Skybox business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because now I'm taking away that delivery that's coming to the box because I'm going to Victoria's Secrets or J Crew or whomever is sending it. And I'm going to, they're my client now, not the individual consumer. Right. And they being the big boys, like an Amazon today for us, they're going to pay a lot less than the individual consumer who's got no bargaining power. Right. But we also knew that that was the way. But we it's volume. Exactly. It's not only volume, but we knew it was inevitable. Right. We knew it was inevitable that cross-border, you know, the I hate throwing around words like globalization, but it's a reality. Yeah. You know, People, the borders are, are coming down. It's much easier to ship to, to shop from the United States. And we knew we needed to be there. And we knew if we could create a solution, we'd have a good opportunity. And then we also, and then we saw the reality of these two uh, options or uh, alternatives to deliver. We said, man, we could do better. We can do better. And that's how Sky Postal started. So you took your dad's generational idea and then you innovated yeah. it. If yeah, if you want to call it innovative, that we well we do we do well, try to be innovative. I mean, sometimes the most simplest thing and so glaring. Right. It takes somebody to do it. It is yeah. an innovation. He always he he has a saying. He says, "Look under your shoe." <laughs> yeah. I love your dad already. Oh, What's yeah. your dad's but, name? 
Albert P. Hernandez. Albert. Okay, good. Alberto. Albert. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. If you got him on this show, you'd have to do a four-hour podcast. <laughs> I want to. I want to. That'd be fun. Um, so who are the early adopters of this? Like what you guys are selling like to e-commerce, like, but who's yeah. the early adopters? Who, who so, sees the vision? I'm, that's good. So remember I talked to you, there's an evolution, right? At first they were sending through the post office. Don't worry, it'll get there. Uh, and so the early adopters were those that had already gotten the wounds. The, they had the battle scars of having dealt with postal delivery and said, look, if we want to be in this game and be successful, we got to find the better delivery or else we're not going to be successful. The user experience is no good. We're not going to have uh, any success. As a matter of fact, I had a call this morning with a client, a very, very big client. And they talked to me about a destination. And they said, you know, we used to do 100,000. No, we used to do 200,000 shipments a month to this country. We're now down to 80,000. I said, why is that? He goes, because we've not got a good solution. We're still using a postal service. Uh, and it's taking 60 days to get delivered. And he goes, nobody wants to wait 60 days for something. That's a that huge bought. loss. Massive loss. But he says, and I'm hopeful that when they start working with us, they'll get back up to those 200,000 shipments a month. Yeah. What a case study. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. And it's, it's so timely. I mean, I literally had the call this morning uh, and it just really punctuates the issue. It's like, you can't, the posts work in the U.S. They work in the, the what's, what are considered industrialized countries. You know, the postal world, if you, go, if you look at the universal postal union, they divide the world into two. They're industrialized countries and developing countries. There's only 24 industrialized countries, which is the U.S., Canada, Australia, Japan, most of Western Europe. Yeah. And then the rest is developing. All of Latin America is considered developing. Wow. Uh, yeah, there's nothing in industrialized about Latin America. Uh, wow. So. so the early adopters are these companies that are actually have been doing cross-border and are losing. Yeah. They started yeah. off early and really got beat up. And, and so those kinds of companies, and the number one is Amazon. Amazon figured it out. You know, they started off in the postal world and they said, okay, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. We have to find alternative ways to work. Uh, uh, sad story, maybe for somebody in the postal world, but uh, Amazon once had such a massive problem into Mexico that they stopped everything. They took out an ad in all the Mexican papers, basically apologizing for the horrific service of their of the Mexican National Post. It was Shit. a disaster. This is probably ten years ago, but I mean, it was a really, really big mess. But those are the kinds of events that push them over the edge to say, okay, we got to go look for something else. Right, right. And, and like them, there's, there's different retailers at different stages of evolution. And so what we're seeing a lot of marketplaces, like the marketplaces from China are starting to learn now, wow, the postal service is really sick. 60 to 90 day service isn't going to cut it. You know, I can't afford to have a client wait 60 to 90 days. So, yeah, I mean, well, you know, I mean, consumer demand, I mean, that's been changing radically, right? I mean, it's a consumer-driven oh, yeah. economy. No more companies are telling you this is what the way it is. Consumers right. are telling it what the way it is, right? That's right. And then you have COVID that's just time warped everything like 10 years. 
That's exactly right. Right. And then you have these emerging economies that are like, want, still want American goods. It's good to hear, right? It's great it's to, to hear. hear that. It's great to hear. And expectations are that, look, don't you get pissed off if you don't get your package like in a day? I'm pissed. If like, I don't get it, the, if do I order it the same day, from? I want it that day. Okay. <laughs> do you realize where we were just even five years ago? I know. You know, you're like, okay, a week. All right. Makes sense. You know, and for the Latin America, <laughs> the Latin American was like 30 days. Hmm, seems reasonable. Yeah. You know, so wow. they must be like over the freaking moon. They're over the moon. But, but they're also, like you said, COVID's, we've gone light years ahead because of COVID. And now they also expecting, and they have greater expectations, which is good. Yeah. I mean, once you get used pressure. to something, you become like, what the hell? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So this is going to be a big, um, so it, it seems to be a pain point who who the the guys that are early adopters but who are the guys where has it been slow to get adoption where you thought it would be like a no-brainer or maybe you didn't maybe you knew it was going to be slow no I, I as i said as i alluded to the china marketplaces the big alibabas of the world which yeah obviously they sell a lot to the united states but they also sell a lot to latin america they were wholly built on a postal model and I get it because a lot of their stuff is very inexpensive stuff. I mean, when your average yeah. price is seven bucks, you don't want to pay seven bucks or 10 bucks to deliver it. Right. But they are, and, and I would have thought, because they've been around, uh, and, and for example, Brazil is one of their biggest markets. They send probably 300,000 shipments a day into Brazil, a day. Of what kind of products? Like, um earbuds uh so election consumer electronics covers, cosmetics what more accessories little inexpensive accessories crazy okay yeah. three hundred thousand a day a day a day and i would have thought that they would have moved along faster to finding better ways they felt that they just accepted uh 30 60 90 day delivery for really too long and i understand the economics of it but there's comes a point where you say man you know as the as the other company i spoke about earlier if you've gone from two hundred thousand to eighty thousand shipments well the savings you're getting on the shipping is not helping right, right. it's killing your business so you better start thinking about you know improving the delivery or the, or the experience for your clients or else it's like this is exactly what the guy said. He goes, I buy this cover. He showed me a cover. He goes, if I buy this cover and I don't get it for 30 days, it's kind of like a present. So it's like, I forget about it. I get yeah. it. It's like, oh, wow, I got myself a present because I already paid for 30 days. It was a present. <laughs> yeah. But he says, and that's okay. But the next time I go to buy and I say, oh man, that last time I went to buy, it took 30 days, 60 days. I might not buy. They're going to go somewhere else. And we don't want that. Right. Right. So your clients are the e-commerce, Shopifiers, Amazoners, also big brand names, right? Yeah. That are getting out there. What do you what do you see this looking like in the next five years, 10 years? More growth. I mean, I think what people are going to expect and what we have to deliver is the U.S. experience. So it's always a couple of years behind. So whatever's happening today in the U.S., in five years, we've got to be able to offer in Latin America. And whatever is happening in five years in the U.S., which might be, you know, 
teleportation or whatever, we got to have to be able to offer that in 10 years in Latin America. But whatever it might be, this is the, the gold standards is here for us. And that's what we have to try. Our, our mission is to try to replicate that experience for the shopper, no matter where they are. That's a really interesting soundbite. So it's like to you're providing the U.S. experience. Yeah. Because they expect that. That's what they think. That's what they want. That's what they aspire to. Well, you're to. also, you're kind of creating your own biggest headache because now you're going to, it's like a, bat, a little kid, you spoil the kid, they're going to expect that, right? So if you start providing two-day delivery into Latin America, people are going to expect it and they're not going to accept anything less. Yeah. So you're creating the expectation and then you, your job, then you got to meet it. That then you got to meet it. And yeah. that's the hard part. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's the hard part. Yeah. Have you pissed anybody off doing this? Uh, oh God! When we first started, when we first started, all the postal services in, in Latin America called us pirates. We were pirates. We were, you know, we were coming in, invading their turf. Uh, many of them tried to get us stopped as illegal because they have a monopoly in the country for the delivery of, of stuff. Uh, but what'd you do? How'd you handle it? We we shrugged our shoulders. We said, first of all, if I don't even have enough money to hire lawyers to come after us anyway, so they're not going to be able to do much <laughs> to, to get us. But, you know, we just, we would go to these conferences, these mail conferences. And I mean, they really would look at us with disdain and right? they didn't like us. And many times, I'll tell you what, we've also gone to many of them and have tried to work with them. Uh, and best example of Brazil, we, we, we work with the Brazilian Postal Service and we do things with them. We've, they've created a hybrid product that's a com combination of commercial and postal where you get the best of the postal world with the, with the commercial because the postal world that's and the brilliant. postal channel does have, some, does have some advantages. And so if you can marry the two in some sort of hybrid solution, uh, that's a winner. And so we've been able to do that in Brazil, which is the biggest market, uh, and it's been very successful for us. And you got to give credit to the postal service. But now that said, Brazil is one of the few postal services that actually work. Well, they seem to be a bit innovative. I mean, to come yeah. up with a public-private partnership. They are. Uh, they are. And we've been happy, happily partners with them for now 18 years. Uh, it started on the mail side. Uh, they opened their eyes up to, they actually started to think of themselves as a business rather than a government entity. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's pretty good considering that they are government you know for the the european posts privatized 30 years ago so they run like businesses and that's part of the reason we also grew they were our clients and they said mm. well i don't have to use the postal services i can use whoever i want because i am a private company i'm going to go with the best or the cheapest or the fastest and that's why we grew i mean really our growth was 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 based on all these european posts saying I'm going with a better service. It's cheaper. Why would I continue to give my mail and packages to a overpriced, unreliable service? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, USPS doesn't do that. No. Because they're a public government entity. That's unfortunate. It's stuck in there. It's stuck in there. I'm starting to see semblances of them perhaps getting out of that uh mentality and trying to do a little work with privates uh they did they, they are i think they are moving that direction but it's way too late yeah well it's hard to turn a big 
ship like that. Oh sometimes, yeah. Right? Well, they're the you know they're the biggest logistics company in the world. You know that's a really interesting fact. The biggest logistics company in the world. They should run like they should run like a private business oh, or well, partly. In their defense, they're handcuffed. So they have not the universal service obligation, but also, you know, they can't raise rates without Congress approval. So imagine they're asked to make money and run their run like a business, but they're not allowed to change their pricing. So, I mean, yeah. hello, that's like, you know, fundamental to any business. To yeah. And not only that, to also say, I'm not going to service that or I'm going to charge more. No, they have to charge the same for everybody. To right. So they, they're hamstrung. So. And, and then the post, and then of course, Congress gets mad at them for losing money. You can't have it both ways. It's so freaking either. ironic, isn't it's it? It's ironic. And it's, 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 it's such a conflict. It's like you either, if they're going to be a public, uh, if they're going to be a government entity, fine, then you have to fund them. And I don't want to hear about losses. It, it, yeah. It's just like, it's just like any, it's like the, the, the army. It's like you, the army doesn't give you a balance. It doesn't give us a PL on how no. they, no, they get no. funded, you know, that's, so that's what the post office is, or you go the route of privatization, which would be a very tough thing to do for a $70 billion company. Yeah. But you go privatization and you let them make their own rules and take the handcuffs off. Yeah. It'd probably be more efficient, but I, I mean, we're, we're talking more efficient, in an ideal more bubble, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's an I, I totally ideal world. And listen, it would, it would impact consumers. I mean, you're not going to have and forgive me for being a postman. I don't even know what the cost of a stamp is today. I don't but, either. <laughs> but it would, definitely, either. it would definitely go up if it were a private company. Yeah, that's true. I, it could would tell go you, I could tell you that. So you guys are blowing up, but where have you messed up? And how <laughs> and how'd you fix place. it? Uh, do, you have a, do you have a thing where it was like, yeah, I really messed up here, but I fixed it and it turned out well for you? Um, or didn't <laughs> we, we listen, you know what, we probably have had challenges everywhere and we have to constantly fix. I mean, that's part of our job is, you know, we are in a very difficult market. I mean, I tell my clients, oh, this is the wild west guys. Okay. We now we've been here a long time. So we've got a lot of arrows in our backs, but it's still the wild west and we're going to have our hiccups. The best way to deal with those hiccups is Face up, face up to them, number one, you know, own up to what you've done and then figure it out. You but, are going to make mistakes. Somebody oh, they, else has been doing this. There's so right? many people, there's so many, you know, we handle millions of packages. There's a lot of hands touching those packages. Things are going to happen. That's the yeah. reality. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to be able to be proactive rather than be reactive. So tell the client there's a problem before he tells you the worst thing in the world is for you to get a call from a client. She's yelling at you because... She didn't get her My package. package. Your package didn't get delivered and you don't know it. That's like, that's to me is that drives me nuts. And that's I, where your technology comes into play, right? Yeah. So that's where my team knows, Hey, we got to be proactive because clients need to know before we, they, they, we need to know before our clients know that there's a problem. Yeah. It's definitely better to fill the vacuum before, you know, yeah. they come after you. I always say definitely be proactive and let people know what's up before. <laughs> They oh, say yeah. something Even when they've said something, it it's is. too late. As difficult as it is to yeah. have to break the news to somebody, you know, we just we once had uh, an entire. We went through a six month period in Mexico. Where we had uh, like five uh, hijackings. 
trucks hijacked in Mexico. That's a, that's a real thing. Real thing. And it is a horrible thing. I, you know, we have insurance and, you know, it was taken care of and we've, and, and we had to constantly take measures to, uh, to fix it, to remedy the problem. But it took us, you know, it was, it happened so fast in such a quick pace within a six month period that we couldn't even get our ass quick enough, but it was massive, massive losses, uh, for us, our partners. And what are you, you know, it's, it was, what are you gonna do criminal activity? It's, you know, it was. Yeah. It looks like they had you pegged. They had us pegged. It was, it was an inside job. It was finally, you know, figured, figured out. out. And it wasn't like we were talking about with small companies in Mexico delivering. Right. We're talking about some very well-known big companies. Wow. Uh, and these, uh, they absolutely hijacked the trucks, beat the crap out of our drivers. You know, it was like, and they were really like, set up they knew what was coming they knew when to be where where to be and uh, but you guys figured this out and fixed it i mean you had we to, had to right? do and but the worst part is we had to do a lot of stuff that i say god it just sucks to have to do you know we had to get basically like bring struck armored armored trucks we had to get not only armored trucks but we had to have a lead and a tail so we had a car in the front a car in the back with guys that are armed with uh armored trucks with cameras on the insides gps systems and even we put gps trackers inside the bags in the back of the truck uh to try to mitigate this stuff and of course that's all very costly and you say so jesus christ we have to go through this man my god wow that you don't think about i mean listen it happens in the united states of course but that's crazy not like in latin america but you know what it just tells me that e-commerce is big business or you wouldn't do all that shit that's right. It certainly is. Oh man, it is. How how have you raised capital for this? Have you been able to do that? Do you have you done oh, yeah. that? Is it man, we were very lucky. If, if we wouldn't be where we are today if it were not for uh, Little Bank. Uh, Little Bank is a as a boutique uh, fund. They manage venture capital, whatever you want to call it. They they manage a lot of money for some very big uh, investors. Uh, and the principal there, Michael Margulies, uh, he and I became friends around 10 years ago. He started the fund, uh, came to me with the fund. And I said, we need money. He raised money for us. Uh, He's he raised, a real disruptor in the VC market. Oh, yeah, big, yeah. big time, big time. Yeah, you got to have him on. He's a real, real disruptor. Uh, and uh, he raised over $5 million for me. And that was critical to fueling our growth. Uh, and on top of that, he remains my partner. And he's the, what I would, if you're going to go out and raise money, make sure it's smart money. You know, when you say smart gonna, money, what are you talking about? Because not everybody has the greatest uh, experience with investors. Yeah, I, I know. I'm, I, and I'm, I know that I've talked to a lot of friends that have raised money. I've had harrowing experiences. And I, we've not, you know, we've been very lucky. Uh, Michael and his team and even his investor group have all been extremely supportive, but more importantly, they lend intelligence. They lend business intelligence. Michael now, after being with me so many years, is an expert in our business, but he has a different view. It's an outsider's view, you know. Which you know, is good. Some, sometimes they say, you know, you've been in the pit so long that you don't smell right. shit anymore, okay? <laughs> so we 
benefit from an outsider looking in saying, hey, why don't you do this? And you said, God, yeah, that's like, makes a lot of sense. Why didn't I think of that? Because I've been here so long and sometimes it doesn't come to you. So it's a fresh set of eyes uh, with a different perspective. And that's the kind of investor you want. Uh, you don't want somebody who's going to give you money, break your balls once a quarter, come yeah. in, want to report and break your chops. Uh, you know, that's no fun. Yeah. Uh, you want someone who's going to support you, uh, be involved. I speak to Michael once a week uh, and, and not because he's, he's just calling to check in. What's happening? What are you doing? What can we do? Uh, how can I help? It's well, he's obviously that. smart. He lets you run the business. Well, yeah. You've obviously done very well with it. I, I think that, that for an investor, the key to, to an investor, and I've also learned this in my past, and there's no scars. If you're going to buy a business, you're, you're buying that team and that manager. If they're worth buying, you're buying the team that created that business to be worth buying. That's true. If you're going to come in and take them out, then what the hell? Right. You know? Obviously, there's there's a kinds of scale, and if you're like business, you might have some overlap, and you'll make some changes. But you're going to keep the main players, or else, what are you buying them for? Yeah. You know, and especially as an investor, because you don't know anything. Like Michael, when he got into my business, didn't know shit about our business, right? So what's he going to do? Right. You know, he's not going to put in somebody. Well, he knew enough to invest in you. That's for damn sure. Well, I'm pretty persuasive. <laughs> that's true. You are. Yeah, you, you, you're probably somewhat like Albert. <laughs> oh, no. He's, <laughs> I, I'm a lot like him and I'm a lot not like him. Like my, yeah. So are you excited about your growth? Are you excited about the future? I am. I am. It's nice to, it's, it's nice to see growth every month, which is a beautiful thing. Because, you know, our business, like a lot of businesses, has seasonality. So usually you have your slow months. Summer is usually a slow time, you know. And when you see... You're Has that been that way in e-commerce? Not anymore. Wow. Not That's anymore for us. Crazy. We've we've gone up every month. Every month we beat the previous month, and it's been nuts. Now, obviously, I know this is not sustainable. And that's not going to be the case, and we'll end up getting back to some sort of seasonality yeah. when the world becomes back to normal. But I also think that the bar is a lot higher for what that whatever that volume or that wherever we are today. It's going to come down a little bit, but there's still going to be a much higher threshold uh, for what normal volumes are. Because I just that's think fascinating. And then more guys get on the on the bandwagon for yeah. sure. More right? people shopping like like when the pandemic ends, which we're both in Florida, so basically the pandemic doesn't exist here in Florida. Right. Uh, <laughs> you're still shopping online. Of course. I mean. Yeah, I, I get a box like, every I still day. shop online. I, mean, I don't I, go to stores anymore. I don't go to the grocery store We don't store go to the groceries. We don't go to the grocery store anymore. Mm -hmm. We shop for everything online. That's not going to ch change. No. no. So, I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm, I won't see the inside of a mall. <laughs> Me I either. I don't think I'll ever <laughs> see the inside of a mall again. I know that's a whole nother podcast. What's happening with that? Right. Crazy. So tell me, who the hell are you, AJ? Like, what were you like growing up? Like. Like, well, first how of all, did your you, path, like, meet this? Well, very unfortunately, because I was expecting to be a baseball player since the time I was two. I had never had any any other idea that I wasn't going to be a baseball since player. Since you were two? Since I was two years old. My grandfather taught me how to play the game. I fell in love with the game. It's my life passion. I love baseball. And I honestly never gave 
any consideration to anything other than being a baseball player. You just didn't give a rat's ass. That was didn't it. Didn't care. I did not care. <laughs> I went to. I even went to college, and I, I, I hate for my kids to hear this, but a lot of kids go to college to get their education. I went to college to play baseball. I was very lucky that I was able to go on scholarship, and I I, I got my education for free, uh, and made great friends, and luckily got an education because obviously baseball didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what happened when it didn't work out for you? Were you just like, uh, I don't know what the hell to do. What happened? Yes. Yes. So I, I got out of baseball. I was 23 years old. Um, I came home, uh, I came down to Miami. My dad's down here in Miami. And I was like, wow, what am I going to do, man? I got to actually, I got to grow up. I got to have to get a job. I have to work for a living. You know, I'm not going to be a billionaire baseball player. Uh, and I really was in a funk. I mean, there was a two month period that I really, you first of all, you feel like, first of all, you you were told that you can no longer play the game that you love. You are no longer identified as a baseball player. My identity was a baseball player. So all of a sudden, from one day to the next, I am no longer a baseball You're player. You're nothing. I'm nothing. I am nobody. I am nothing. That's and I like said, severe depression. Severe, de and I went into a severe depression. I was severely depressed. I hated baseball. Wow. I didn't want. As a matter of fact, I had an opportunity to go back out and, and play with another club, but I was so broken that I didn't go. I said, wow. I don't want to do this anymore. I, it had become a job. I didn't love it anymore, and I said, I don't want to play anymore baseball. And it wow. was a severe depression. And then, so a couple months later. Um, you had to father, do something. What'd you do? My father says to me, come join me. I, you, I've worked in the summer. So I, I, every summer I spent working at my dad's business. So I knew and I had an idea of his business, an idea. I shouldn't say I knew very much. <laughs> I did not have any, actually I actually had no clue. You had no clue. I, I, knew that, I knew that he delivered <laughs> packages and, and mail. Uh, and so he says, listen, I, I have this new product called Skybox. I need someone to help run it. And that's how I got started. I came in, uh, in 1993, he had, he had started at the seed of Skybox in 92, which is the U S address service I talked about earlier. Yeah. And, uh, I started as a product manager, just, it was a product of his company. Yeah. And then three years later, I spun it off into a separate company. Um, so you started from the bottom. I started from the bottom and worked your way I'm up. Kidding, my dad had me come in and I had to work in the warehouse. And uh, I think I told you the story. I see you laughing already. So I, my dad puts me in the warehouse to learn the business, and some guy starts giving me shit about something that I screwed up, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, basically, excuse me, uh, do you know who I am? <laughs> and the guy was like, Yeah, I know who you are, Junior, and I don't give a shit. You're doing things wrong. I love and it that story. Me, and it hit me, and it hit me in between the eyes, and I said, "He's right. Who cares that my father's the owner of this company? Who gives you know? a shit? No one gives a shit. You got to prove yourself." I really felt that was a great lesson for me. I said to myself, "I have to make my own name. I got to prove myself. I can't just go by Junior, you know, Albert's son. That's not going to cut it." And so I got the opportunity to run Skybox. Three years later, I spun it off. So I was running my own company at 26 years old. That's kick-ass. You know? And it was great. Uh, I learned a lot. 
I look back now, I say how dumb I was as a as running a company, but like who doesn't look back 20 years and say, right? I know. And it was great time. I had some great people around me that taught me a lot. Um, I got, I met, I met my future wife. She came to, came to work for us in, in 1996. You scooped her up. I scooped her up a couple of years later. And Good then, for um, you. In 2000, I sold Skybox to, to Land Chile Airlines. Um, and then while at Land Chile, I wasn't happy with the way things were going. Uh, and this is how I learned about selling your company and what to do and what not to do. Uh, I sold my company and talking about buying a company. When they bought us, they basically bought the company but thought nothing of the people who were running it mm. and decided to put all their own people and they just put us off to a corner. They changed uh, everything. They changed everything. And, and whilst they were, I had a great, I had a wonderful employment contract and I had a wonderful title. I was like the queen of England. You know, I had a great title, but I had no power. I couldn't do anything. I just really, and you know, again, I went into a depression. I was like, Oh God, this is brutal. And that around that time is when, my father and I started, really, my dad started to, to, to germinate the idea of Sky Postal. And in 2001, I was actually employee number one of Sky Postal. We, we started Sky Postal with Land Cheetah's uh, investment. They invested in us. They seeded us to do it. They also knew that we weren't happy and that a divorce was inevitable. So they bet on us and built this, helped us build Sky Postal. Uh, a couple of years later, we did some horse trading and we took them out and traded back what we had of the other company and took holy, took whole, whole control of the business. Wow. So you That's learn a great and, story. Yeah. I got your dad's a that. real catalyst. Your dad's a, like, he's dad's a real, a like, yeah. He's a catalyst and a cowboy. He is a real, uh, he's a maverick. He, yeah. He's, he is a maverick. I cannot Much, wait to meet listen, him. Listen, and I, I always tell people this with my father, this is a funny line. My dad's like fire, okay? My fire, you could use fire to warm your house, cook your food, but it'll also burn your house to the ground, okay? <laughs> so my job with my father is to control that flame. Yeah. Because he is, he's, he's a wild man. Wow. That is, a, he's, a, he's, he's an entrepreneur, a definition of an entrepreneur. True, true you know, definition. Seat of, seat of your pants, you know, I don't Fucking give a shit. make it go right. Yeah, I don't give exactly. I don't give a shit. Go. Yeah. Go and go 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, and the, our roles are kind of reversed now. So I'm like, okay, Dad, let's go. Let's keep your feet on the ground here. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's just take it easy here. You know. And he's still. I love doing, your dad. He's still doing that at the age of 72. This is amazing. Yeah. H have him listen to this. Oh, I will. Okay. He'll, he'll get a kick out of it, and then he'll also say, "You had to say all those things about me." <laughs> when, when, my father was born in my father was born in Cuba, but he he came when he was about eight years old. So he's went straight to Brooklyn. So he's got this real New York Brooklyn accent. So good for him. Yeah. See, I surround myself with North Northeasterners. I oh, love you do? them. Well, yes. I grew up in the Northeast, and sometimes my 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 New York or New Jersey accent comes out in some words, but. Mine's a lot more neutral than my dad's, you know, my dad sounds like he came out of Goodfellas. <laughs> okay, good. Well, one day we'll have a podcast just for Albert. I don't That's know what we'll that. call it. I, I, 
I would, I would say I'd love to do that, but I get so frustrated sitting next to him in a, in a meeting <laughs> that I, I think that I would have you do it. And then I would watch the edited one because okay, there would be a four hour podcast that I told you to edit down. <laughs> okay, good. So where do people find you? How do they get a hold of you? Skypostal.com. That's where we're at. And if, um, what if they want to talk to you directly? They can email me at ajhernandez at skypostal.com. And Hernandez is with a Z at the end. H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. And I'll be happy to uh, talk to anybody who's got any great ideas. Awesome. AJ, thank you. Thank you, KJ. This has been a, so much fun. I've had fun too. Good, and good. I appreciate, and I appreciate you as always. I love our conversations. Yes, you always, I always make me laugh. Right? You. you always make me laugh and I always make you laugh. So it's that's a true. good thing. It's true. Thanks everybody. If you learned something today or you laughed, tell somebody about this podcast, tell people to go disrupt their markets and give them a tidbit from the show. And thank you for listening to the Dis Disruption Interruption podcast where we transform lives change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.